The first cut on this record has been cross-format focused for airplay success. The men beat on their drums. Hello and welcome to Politics Theory Other. My name is Alex Doherty and today I'm joined by Sophie Lewis. We'll be discussing trans-exclusionary radical feminism, the relationship between the emergence of this ideology and the legacy of 1968, as well as the contrasting reception of TERFs in the UK and the United States. As always, you can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes and Acast, and you can also follow on Facebook and Twitter, the handle is at Poll Theory Other. If you like the podcast, please do consider rating or reviewing it on iTunes. Uh, the podcast also has its own Patreon page. And as I recently mentioned, uh, the show really will depend on supporters of the show uh, if it's to continue. So please do consider becoming a supporter. Um, you can donate from as little as uh, $1 a month at the Patreon page, which you'll find at patreon.com forward slash Poll Theory Other. Sophie Lewis is a writer, family abolitionist and critical human geographer and has a PhD from the University of Manchester. Her essays have appeared in Salvage Magazine, Viewpoint, Jacobin and the Boston Review, amongst other venues. Her first book, Full Surrogacy Now, Feminism Against the Family, is out next May from Verso Books. If you would like to follow her on Twitter, she tweets at ReproUtopia. Uh, today's interview was prompted by my reading her excellent article in Salvage, which is titled Surf and Turf, Notes on Some Bad Materialisms. I'll post the link to that article in the description of the show. I began the interview by asking Sophie to explain the term turf, it's a teleology, why she believes it's a useful term, and why she rejects the claims of those who regard the term as a slur. Yeah, right. So I don't know if <laughs> it's clear to necessarily all our listeners here, the acronym uh, TERF um, stands for Trans-Exclusionary Radical Feminism or Feminist. And notwithstanding the sort of willfully produced uh, fug around that term that you're referring to, it was developed by, you know, cisgender feminists um, as a very neutral descriptor. And this is sort of frequently... Uh, something that comes up in discussions. Um, uh, there's nothing in particular about any of those components um, that can reasonably be described as a as a slur, given that the the mission of the people involved is uh, quite straightforwardly, like it says on the tin, really uh, to exclude uh, trans people from their constituency, which which they define as radical feminism. It's true that um, most of the people involved would prefer to be known as gender critical feminists um, for reasons I can go into in a minute. I was wondering if I could also say up front on this podcast that, because um, it's something I wanted to say before anything else, I want, uh, what we're talking about here is not the main enemy of trans people. Mm. Um, it's not the source of most of the direct violence against trans people in the world, which is uh, probably the police uh, and maybe followed 
as a close second by the institution of the nuclear family or you know moreover given the massive hostility to trans people that's enacted by basically you know most uh, social infrastructures um, including labor markets and social welfare bureaucracies and border regimes and healthcare and psychiatry and public space to be honest turf activism probably doesn't even make the top three problems in most trans people's lives so um to say turf, but, i mean ob- obviously you, you still think it's a useful uh, thing to be be talking about though. i do yeah it's uh it's just important to understand it's not the same as saying um and th- th- these are the alternative terms that we should be using trans antagonistic trans skeptical trans suspicious or even just trans exclusionary on its own and these are terms i should say that are proposed by the uh, very uh, important um, theorist um, Julia Serrano. The world at large is unfortunately all of those things. Um, and some people do also talk about TEFs, trans exclusionary feminists, you know, who aren't radical feminists, mm. i.e., mainstream uh, liberal feminists. Um, but t- yeah, TERF, TERF is useful because. Um, it, it does it does exist out there. There's a resurgence of um, extremely sort of muscular activism that, that, that really can only be accurately described as that. But uh, since you want me to talk a little about the, the teleology, I'd say it's an ontological orientation with um, heavy links to a particular queer phobic strand um, of 70s and 80s lesbian separatism, by no means the only strand um, of, of lesbian separatism. It's characterized by um, a kind of anti-scientific insistence on sex dimorphism as a social fact paired with a sort of contradictory but very intensively defended stance uh, against, yeah, quote-unquote gender. Um, by, by sex dimorphism, we're talking about a very sort of strict binary between the idea of the male and, and the female. Is, is that right? Yes. So um, even though... Um, Evolutionary biologists and uh, all kinds of biologists actually are poking holes in the idea that human animals are uh, neatly divisible into those into the, these two sexes, male and female. Um, uh, yeah, the, 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 there's almost this kind of um, strand of feminism that, uh, in direct proportion to to the complication of uh, sex science, insists, uh, you know, more and more loudly that there are easily recognizable and completely on, um, on inarguable uh, men and women in the world and, and nothing else and nothing in between. And, and therefore, it's as though, you know, this thing called gender, which they see as completely um, distinct from uh, sex, were unleashed anew upon the world uh, each time a trans woman uh, eats of the forbidden apple of uh, the tree of... Uh, Twitter or something <laughs> and hormone replacement <laughs> um, because it's always trans women and trans feminine people who are the problem in this worldview uh, not trans men um, or rather it's cruel caricatures of trans women and their desires um, cruel caricatures that are obsessively generated by TERFs uh, about trans women's clothes their bodies their genitals and so on um, all of which tells you all you need to know really about the tragic sense of shame about femininity um, and hostility towards femininity, uh, internalized hostility that lies at this ideology's core. 
I suppose the the well the commonly made counter argument that you hear from from people within that tradition is to say that uh, the trans people are sort of effectively reinforcing gender roles. There's a sort of performative femininity or a performative masculinity, which is actually contributing to the maintenance of uh, of traditional uh, gender roles. Um, uh, how would you counter that sort of claim? It's it's a fascinating uh, contradiction there because. Um, if it were the case that um, trans-exclusionary radical feminists, you know, want people not to uh, perform gender um, because gender is a sort of uh, sickness, uh, a kind of uh, mesh of oppression um, and nothing besides, then, uh, you know, and if it were the case that, as they sometimes say, they want people to sort of uh, love and accept themselves and love and accept their bodies, then... Um, Presumably, it would be the case that non-passing, quote-unquote, um, trans women or, or non-binary uh, people or, um, you know, trans women who haven't undergone surgery and don't want to and don't need to um, mm. would be uh, accepted, perhaps, uh, or at least accepted to a greater degree than um, so-called passing trans women who have perhaps gone to a great deal of effort to achieve the sort of... Um, outward appearance of a you know of a, of a cis woman um but that's just not the case that's uh that, that that's not the case at all if you look at the consultations around for example hb2 the house bill 2 in north carolina uh which was one of these so-called bathroom bills um that was trying to mandate that uh one can only use a bathroom um if uh, if that if that bathroom conforms to the sort of gender trajectory implied by the sex on your birth certificate, um, there were all these kind of uh, turfs in the hearings um, talking specifically about um, sort of non-passing trans women as the worst thing they could possibly imagine. Um, that, that there's um, there's a terrible sort of uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't characteristic of uh, trans trans women's existence uh, as as disciplined by TERFs, you know, which is something that TERFs themselves should be familiar with, given that um, that's, uh, that's something that's been theorized extensively in uh, the radical feminist tradition uh, around femininity itself as something that cis women too are damned if they do and damned if they don't. But, uh, but of course, it's an anti-solidarity um, impulse, unfortunately. So there's there's never um, links being made um, from that side of the aisle. Given that the the, the sort of yeah the the, um, the trans exclusionary uh, rad femmes, uh, given that they see or at least many of them see their project as as abolishing gender. I mean, you know, as you say, you would sort of think that the you know problematizing gender would would be something that they would. Um, would think you know was a positive development. I mean, how how do they make sense of this to themselves? Is it is it simply the case that they see um, femininity um, or or the you know culturally known signifiers of femininity as a, as an inherently sort of subordinate position? And if you're adopting those, then you're losing. Is is that is that it? Yeah, yeah, right. There's something sort of uh, as you're identifying sort of foundationally. Um, uh, schizoid about the turf relationship to uh, womanhood, um, and this is something I tried to draw out in my in my article for Salvage magazine towards the end, because it was something that um, that I started to perceive almost kind of obliquely by sifting through the the masses of sort of um, rageful, sort of homicidal, um, 
really uh, obsessively fetishistic and genital-oriented uh, internet uh, landscape um, that, that there is out there uh, around around the turf cause. Um, that there's something um, there's something uh, sort of along the lines of um, the lady doth protest too much uh, around their professed uh, pride in being real women, women-born women, uh, natal women. Um, it's it's a sadness. It's actually something really um, sad. Uh, not that I'm really suggesting kind of you know expending too much energy in in in, in empathy uh, for for these people because um, because you know. Um, but it, it's 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 somewhat tragic. I think it, it stems uh, from a, a revanchist kind of traumatized uh, reactivity. Um, the, uh, for, largely from 1973, the moment when historian Alice Eccles reckons the women's liberation movement um, imploded in on itself. Um, so out of these kind of shards of the radical feminist moment, you have this um, residuum um, of kind of uh, disgusted, betrayed, and therefore paranoid and resentful uh, cultural feminists who... Um, had, had managed uh, for various reasons t to do with their class position, their whiteness and their educatedness to get their foot in the door um, of a certain kind of, uh, you know, moving escalator of power and institutionalization and decided um, based on their experience of, um, you know, their, 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 their genuine experience of misogyny and, and condescension within the, uh, the new left um, to sort of... Uh, I guess, um, bring up the drawbridge and kind of uh, dedicate all of their energy to shitting on what they see as, uh, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say shitting. Um, on, uh, <laughs> you are. We're, we're not that big time that that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, on what they see as kind of imposters or parvenus. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, because contrary to what um, Simone de Beauvoir famously said uh, around uh, not one not being born, but rather becoming a woman. Uh, many of these trans exclusionary radfems are dedicating most, if not all, of their free time to disseminating the message that no, there is no coming into womanhood. You know, we are the oppressed ones. Uh, we will not concede that you are oppressed alongside us by overwhelmingly the same things. So, you know, in other words, people who transition into womanhood, even if they may be exposing themselves to all kinds of brutality, exposing themselves to a world that induces astronomical rates of suicidality for trans women. Somehow, they are still imagined to be making a mockery of, of, of quote-unquote real women's suffering. Uh, because real women, you see, don't have gender, they just have uh, womanhood. And uh, yeah, for some reason, trans women are reaffirming gender, um, not troubling it. Uh, it's it's uh, radical feminists with their ontology in which gender and sex are separate that that are troubling it, and that's you know it's incredibly difficult I think to talk about this on a podcast because you have to get into the weeds or perhaps it's beyond my abilities but you know the big uh, revolution in gender theory uh, marked by Judith Butler's much misunderstood theorization of per performativity you know was was that um, rather than uh, sex being the sort of uh, substratum uh, on which, you know, gender is built, rather, you know, sex is part of the uh, evidence that the, the, 
the social system of gender points to to justify itself. Um, people then took this kind of Butlerian intervention to mean, oh, um, you know, postmodern feminists think that there's nothing to uh, being a man or a woman except wearing lipstick and, uh, you know, or wearing a tie or something, um, which is not the case at all. I mean, to say something is a social construct is not at all to, to dismiss it um, as uh, somehow uh, flimsy or to be swept away at the, at the drop of a hat. I'm mixing my metaphors here. But um, it, it's, it's very uh, limited the, and, and uh, difficult to uh, the, the extent to which we can enact a change in our sexuation or our gendering is is kind of is is limited. It's it, we're we're constrained by all kinds of things. But um, and I'm not to say I'm not I'm not saying that Judith Butler is the sort of beginning and end of uh, transgender theory. In fact, I would say that Donna Haraway's uh, manifesto for cyborgs was a much more important intervention in, in this conversation, at any rate, because um, it's a it's a sort of technophobia. Uh, that a lot of trans-exclusionary radical feminists are, are basing their, um, their hatred of trans women on. And I suppose that, um, that technophobia, uh, I mean, it occurs to me that that perhaps speaks to, to that sort of um, anti-utopian mindset that, you know, they may talk about abolishing gender, but they say the words but don't really mean it. It's kind of slipped away from the sort of horizon of possibility for them. Yeah. Yeah, um, I want to tentatively say that I perceive in uh, trans-exclusionary radical feminist imaginaries something very strange uh, with regard to uh, the utopian horizon that, that, as you're saying rightly, I think they've, they've lost. There's, a, there's almost um, a kind of ecstatic um, nihilism um, that you see around enthusiasm for uh, The Handmaid's Tale the new TV series uh, on Hulu. <laughs> I mean, obviously it was a, a 1984 novel by um, Margaret Atwood. I think I got that date right. Anyway, the, uh, the utopianism, uh, paradoxically, of the Handmaid's Tale um, fan club is, um, is, I think, kind of relevant to this discussion. Um, there are obviously not trans women in the Handmaid's Tale because it's a world built on the idea that um, women uh, are... Uh, enlisted as a breeder chattel uh, by a totalitarian uh, male chauvinist um, government in the United States. There, are, there also aren't uh, women who don't have wombs or, you know, uh, women who don't have uh, XX chromosomes or, mm. you know, um, which, which a lot of uh, women who aren't trans in the real, woman, in the real world um, don't have. You know, don't, uh, there are lots of uh, women who aren't trans in the real world who don't quote-unquote cyclically secrete luteinizing hormone which is one criteria that uh, a notable turf has tried to use to retrofit um, the, uh, the core constituency of feminism but um, th th in this world uh, that I'm, I'm hoping listeners know about the Republic of Gilead where there's this kind of uh, um, carnival of torture of, of women's bodies um, there's something really uh, satisfied and um, there's a huge sense of relief that I think you can detect as the undertow of, of that whole um, dystopian uh, landscape, because in Gilead, at least everyone would, would accept the authority of uh, radical feminists and they would accept the primacy, if not, you know, if not universality of uh, 
the the issues that TERFs think are the only issues for feminism, i.e., you know, reproductive autonomy, uh, not including trans women's reproductive autonomy, um, you know, and 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 the issue of of uh, the rape of cis women, um, you know, which which enables you to ignore the fact that trans women experience uh, far higher degrees of um, far higher instances of rape um, in the real world, including in um, the men's prisons that TERFs actively um, mobilise to get trans women assigned to. So, I mean, I guess in that world, um, the the world of um, The Handmaid's Tale, uh, uh, gender and sex are kind of identical, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I would say I would say that yeah, um, so-called gender critical or turf ideology is all about contriving something that um, you know. I think you could say a hundred years of uh, feminist philosophy hasn't achieved, i.e., a stable definition of womanhood, and it does this through the act of differentiating itself from trans women. So trans women are absolutely necessary to it in that sense, and you might be able to argue that it's the sort of um, unspoken. Um, uh, outside uh, or context of things like the hands and handmaid's tale given that we're in this moment of transgender tipping point you know so-called um, you have this uh, immensely popular tv show that is literally all about um, womanhood being identical with uh, having a uterus and this stable definition of womanhood um this fantasized stable definition is for them a kind of holy grail. And having got it, that definition can then be cast as though it was always self-evident and experienced by, you know, all women born women or, or natal women, um, even though that's blatantly not the case. Um, and indeed, you know, it's, it's, um, it's useful, I think, maybe to, to play with the example of Handmaid's Tale to, to sort of concretize some of this discussion, which otherwise might risk um, sort of becoming a bit too abstract. Um, because it was, you know, um, anti-colonial feminists and indigenous feminists and black feminists um, who pointed out about Margaret Atwood's um, novel, uh, and then to an even greater extent about, uh, I think the director's called Bruce Miller, um, his, TV, his TV adaptation, um, that there are immensely sort of racist um, mechanisms at work in this, in this utopia or, or dystopia um, I guess I'm cheekily suggesting that it's a bit of a utopia for some for some feminists, um, mm. because because the uh, the worst possible thing um, is you know um, being made into a reproductive uh, slave. Um, but this happened, right? It happened on American soil, uh, on the American plantation, um, and it, so, so there's this kind of um, unmarking. Uh, and anti-intersectionalizing of feminism that's going on in the notion that it's kind of uh, Elizabeth Moss who represents the sort of futuristic possibility of uh, 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 of, of women suffering. You know, when there are loads of people, uh, including Angela Davis, uh, are, you know, who've been around for years, pointing out that this is this is very much not new. It's just that white feminists didn't stand up for their um, black and brown sisters at the time. On, on the question of uh, of the violence that trans people experience, um, uh, I mean, you've mentioned that uh, trans people uh, experience very high levels of um, suicidality, um, but also obviously are particularly prone to violence from, from the police. And uh, you mentioned in your article that they are perhaps the least likely people to get redressed through the court. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's often primarily in terms of uh, the supposed uh, threat that they pose through access to female-only spaces that trans, trans women are, are, are discussed by, by TERFs. Um, why do you think that, that there is this kind of tendency to, to impute violence to, to people who are uh, particularly at risk from it? Um, yeah... I'm leaving myself open here to accusations of fulfilling Godwin's law or something, but the tendency you're naming has to be understood (laughs) in terms of um, the logic of fascism, um, I believe. You know, I say this because of the presence um, among TERFs of um, an earnestly held millenarian conspiracy theory that's not all that dissimilar to the white nationalist fantasy about white genocide. Except in this case, it's female erasure. Um, the idea that there's a female eliminationist re-engineering of the human race taking place by sinister technodocs and pharmacrats who are in hoc to this so-called trans lobby, as well as the so-called pimp or sex trafficking lobby. And all, the, all those uh, activists, uh, trans-exclusionary radical feminists, sex worker exclusionary radical feminists who, who, who conflate trafficking with sex work and anti-surrogacy feminists uh, are all drawing on the same sort of theoretical history, which goes back to Janice Raymond's um, The Transsexual Empire. Um, Janice Raymond being a person who is still active um, and who was the uh, doctoral student of Mary Daly, um, author of Gyne Ecology, Gyne Slash Ecology, which was one of the other main fountainheads of the uh, the kind of tropes of uh, the trans woman as murderer, as rapist, um, and 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 sort of uh, one of the sources of inspiration of the of the discourse that uh, enables trans exclusionary radical feminists to um, to say things in. Let me see if I can uh, uh, read you this email that I've got recently from one of my um, past uh, friends and colleagues, a working class woman from Bolton. She writes. I really hope you do kill all TERFs like you are threatening because I don't want to see the future that is being created where women are not even classed as existing, let alone having any rights. Um, It's pretty millenarian language. Extinguish her, this trans woman, before she extinguishes you. You know, truly, if you cast a look across the corpus of uh, trans bashing public speech, you know, and it's published in The Guardian um, and The Observer, as well as in sort of more fringe uh, platforms such as Deep Green Resistance um, or Counterpunch and the Morning Star. Uh, what else? Mumsnet. You'll find a hate... The, the New Statesman <laughs> on occasion. I think of one particular okay. individual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you find a hate and shame-filled level of dehumanisation that I think wouldn't be out of place on a Stormfront message board. Um, there's this tradition of... Uh, jeering at bad wigs uh, there are these imputations of mutilation there's talk about butchery and holes and genital stink and necrosis and there's these sinister descriptions of pedophilia there's the, these sort of homophobic insinuations about bed wetting you know and there's just a whole um frenzy of um of uh, of fear about rape um there's an, there's an idea that if, um, you know, a trans woman were ever in a bathroom designated for women, that there would be some sort of, um, you know, 
genital threat there, as, as though um, as though genitals are ever actually even on display in public in, in public bathrooms. It's the, the, it's been pointed out sort of quite rightly, I think, uh, <laughs> several times on Twitter that the, you know one has to wonder what perfs do themselves in public bathrooms because it's clearly not what the vast majority of us actually do. You know, wash your hands, do your makeup, go into a store. Um, and relieve yourself. It's it's there's there's a there's a sort of um, genuinely sort of uh, sort of fashioid, if not fascist, obsessional um, uh, sort of level of fantasizing about what the, uh, what people who are having um, a really hard time being in public bathrooms, and you really get this kind of sacrificial logic in turfs. Um, articulation of this of this problem it's it's completely completely refusing to put um themselves in uh the shoes of 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 their trans sisters who who have to face every day the sort of you know the air thickening um into a sort of awkward hostility when they enter public uh public uh, facilities um you know keeping their head down hoping that uh someone doesn't sort of say something dehumanizing or you know police them or you know, report them, and it, and it, and it, I think in in one article in the Morning Star, you have a feminist, a so-called feminist, literally spelling out what she recognizes is the uh, the choice for trans women between go into the room where you get beaten up, um, or go into the room where you get shouted at. And in her opinion, uh, feminism needs to stake itself firmly behind the the prescription that trans women should be continuing to get beaten up in the boys' room for the sake of uh, supposedly preventing those, uh, those few imaginary um, predators who would be enabled and uh, legally mandated to saunter into the, the other door were we to enact legislation um, uh, affirming trans women uh, as trans women. So, you know, under the guise of standing for something loftier than mere bullying, often feminist socialism is what is what uh, TERFs say they are for, um, although not all of them. Uh, and as you say, sometimes they're standing for an end to gender itself. Um, really, these people are just participating, you know, full-bloodedly in, in an abusive society's um, shaming rituals and queerphobic uh, disciplinary uh, mechanisms. And although they're pro-lesbian in theory, um, they're really among those keeping queer phobia alive, leading the charge in, in social cleansing initiatives that are aimed at the aesthetics and the accessories uh, and the body modification practices of an over, overwhelmingly proletarian and marginalized group of femmes uh, and, you know, and whores. Maybe this is a ridiculous uh, comparison, but it just sort of occurred to me the other day, uh, reading your article and um, thinking about how turf seems to be sort of policing this very, you know, sort of very specific idea of, you know, as, as you as, as you seem to be saying, you know, sort of very specific idea of what lesbianism should be, for example. Um, and it, it sort of made me think of, uh, and obviously this kind of total hostility to... Um, uh, femininity of, of, of any of any kind, and it made me think of of, uh, of sort of musical subcultures. It, it made me think of um, mm. the tribalism of, of of music culture when I was a kid, and, and the way that 
if you're engaged in any activity which is sort of quote unquote mainstream uh you're you're a sellout and um you know you're just caving into the dominant culture and this kind of thing i mean maybe that's a ridiculous comparison but it, it did sort of occur to me and it, it made me think that you know that mindset leads to as, as i think it did with some of those musical subcultures a very kind of impoverished kind of culture that you develop um i mean i you know i i i, I went through a brief period of this as a kid where um you know this sort of period of, of only listening to sort of white boy indie guitar music and it's just like mm-hmm. it's because uh, you know in in the place i grew up um uh, black pop music was understood as, as a mainstream and b female you know and uh i'm you know and it was as i say sort of a very impoverished culture that i'm you know glad to was glad to see the back of yeah and i mean I don't know if this was something you were gesturing towards, but there's a frequently rehearsed kind of notion that um, trans people are part of a sort of wave of um, unfeminist sellout uh, commodification um, somehow of mm. identity. And Slavoj Žižek will say things of, like this. And part of neoliberalism, yeah. effectively, right? Yes, that trans people themselves are part of neoliberalism. Um, right. This is a, a thing that Slavoj Žižek thinks uh, to the extent that he thinks about it at all. And, uh, you know, I, I think I, I said this in my article for Salvage. Um, we need to, as is the left, do so much better at uh, contesting and challenging that, um, refusing it point blank rather, because obviously the fact that certain developments in neoliberalism are of some benefit to some trans people, just like some developments in neoliberalism are of some benefit to some women is it's just no reason at all to conflate their relative success in self-organization in recent years with neoliberalism you know trans uh, struggle is and has been historically you know aids struggle migrant struggle housing struggle healthcare activism and sex workers self-organization you know i haven't said this much on the podcast so far because you've you've you know you've let me know that there'll be a separate podcast about sex workers, self-organization. Mm. But you can't separate sex workers' struggle from, from trans peoples just for, you know, demographic reasons, really. And because, you know, even under neoliberalism, labor market discipline is excluding most trans people uh, from formal employment. So sex work is the industry where trans people have the easiest time still today. And that kind of uh, Zizek reading about trans somehow being neoliberal is, is frankly this kind of ass backwards reading of history, which should be, you know, that capitalism scrambles to recuperate the gains of key proletarian social struggles. And, you know, capitalism always attempts to neutralize the force of what we should be seeing as forms of class struggle. You know, these, these, these things I, I listed. Of course, capitalism wants to sort of domesticate and atomize and transform into a sort of normality. Uh, what was actually a, a, an insurgent force in the 60s and 70s. And for God's sake, we're always hearing that kind of reactionary line from a certain strain of class first or, you know, workerist respectability socialism. You know, we're hearing it deployed against students and safer spaces in the name of free speech. And we're hearing it from opponents of Me Too, as though mobilizing against sexual violence was somehow neoliberal. And we should remember that not long ago it was homosexuals who were bourgeois or individualist or identitarian or postmodern or what have you. And I mean, you know, of course there are misogynist and right-wing trans people, just as there are bigoted and conservative gay people, 
Um, and yes, it looks like we will probably be seeing more rather than less of the type of um, A-list representative of transness like Caitlyn Jenner, uh, mm. whose definition of transness is intensely consumerist and anti-feminist and racist and bioconservative. But the economic context of those developments is the same as, as um you know, as as for the uh, Sheryl Sandberg or whatever, it's it's the selling back of freedom and of feminist um, power as zero hours or flexi time, um, the selling back of the right to choose as the obligation to be entirely self responsible. So yeah, we have to be on yeah. our guard. Yeah, I mean, regarding that, it was it was specifically. Um... 68 that it made me think of and uh, I mean I suppose to the extent that I understand it the, the argument that um, the the trans people uh, are sort of constitutive part of, of neoliberalism seems you know seems to be something along the lines of that um, because transness is about a sort of proliferation of, of, of gender positions that it then ties in with the kind of proliferation of identities that you know we've kind of seen since um, the reordering of, of capitalism uh, following the breakdown of the, the sort of post-war consensus and um, yeah it, it, it made me think that that it's really uh, it reflects a very kind of pessimistic and as, as you're saying you know a very sort of unhelpful focus solely on class that just views the you know the sort of cultural flowering of, of 68 mm. as something that could only proceed in one way that um that consumerism was the only uh, outcome of, of of the of the fluidity of that moment um I, and i was i was recently reading um kristen ross's book on 68 and um mm -hmm. you know she makes the interesting point that we, we think of it always in terms of uh, of workers and, and the students um but but the point she makes is that uh, what was precisely exciting and revolutionary about '68 was was actually the breakdown of, of those categories um, in the moment of you know of, of the strike. Workers cease to be working, you know, and it raises the question of what you do and who you are and, and what you become. And um, yeah, it, it just seems, uh, you know, as you said, yeah. it's very sad that, that there's that kind of um, jettisoning of, of of the excitement of that moment. Yeah, I guess this returns, uh, I think what you're saying reminds me uh, of the sort of earlier discussion we were having about the sort of uh, almost the, the blaming of the most sort of suffering or affected or victimized uh, subject of a system for the, the effects of that system. Um, there's a, a sense in which trans women are and trans people generally are seen as the sort of the ones that are particularly and unreasonably attached to identity markers. Why should that be? Why, why is it uh, that we think that trans people are obsessed with identity? It's obviously because, you know, when a, a group of people starts pointing out that the social order under which they've been um, obliged to live has no room for them to breathe or be seen um, as who they are, it throws up the uncomfortable realization that there's been an unspoken uh, fetishization of identity going on all the time uh, among the unmarked population category. You know, that there's, there's uh, a, a deep discomfort about having it pointed out that um, the category cisgender was operative all the time, but it, but it was. 
it's a transphobic society that is making a huge fuss about um, uh, you know identity that it sees as sort of insurgent and new uh, when trans women have in some shape or form been around for you know a hundred years um, not always under that name but um, you know as you say in moments of struggle categories become often much less important in the moment uh, when solidarities really sort of emerge uh, imminently from from struggle in the streets um, people were happy to just fight under the the banner of gay liberation right um, and obviously a lot of uh, radical uh, trans analysis is about the dissolution of the binary between trans and cis in the ideally immediate term but more realistically uh, than the longer run yeah I think again we should be refusing the idea that um, you know people who have no choice but to designate themselves as trans at the end of the day, given that that's, that's the, uh, the terms that are being proposed to them, are uh, somehow, you know, um, unreasonably um, uh, fetishizing identity. And another thought that, that occurs related to, to that, the hostility to, towards, um, towards people who are, you know, obviously... Um, particularly at risk from, from, from violence and, and, and so on. I mean, I, I wonder if there's almost a kind of... Um, so in terms of the, the, the 68 thing, I mean, I wonder if that... There's clearly a sort of hostility to, to, to that generation. I mean, I understand... I mean, I don't really know personally, but I understand from people who know French culture better than I do, yeah. but there's a sort of pr profound hostility towards uh, the, the 68 generation that seems to be that kind of, it's precisely that, that they sort of opened a kind of utopian door that, that means that there's that kind of hostility, that they, they you know, it's almost that kind of, the 68 is, a, is the kind of the bad conscience of people um, who kind of accepted the world as it is. And I wonder if there's a similar logic going on with trans people in a way that it, in some ways, I mean, you, you say at the end of your article, you, you, you say it's not necessarily the case that there's a kind of revolutionary consequence of, uh, of trans activism and the proliferation of, of different uh, sort of subject positions but but that there is nonetheless there is something there there is the kind of the, the 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 prospect of that and perhaps that's part of the the hostility that which would make sense i suppose in that it's you know it, it yeah. the the turfs are people who who do seem to have kind of given up on a on a revolutionary uh, perspective even if they wouldn't uh, agree with that um one thing that perhaps um comes to mind here is um this might be unsurprising um, to most listeners who, you know, particularly if you think about this stuff for a second, but um, the activities and attitudes uh, fostered by TERFs are constantly um, being shown to be adverse, or to, well, to adversely impact uh, cis people, particularly cis women too, right? So since the wave of anti-transgender bathroom bills, butch cisgender women have frequently become targets for interrogation harassment and exclusion from bathrooms, you know, mm. by people mistaking them for men. This is um, the basis on which, um, although I think we should proceed very cautiously in doing this, because it dime store psychologization uh, is perhaps uh, to be uh, indulged in rarely, if at all. But there's something at the core of um, this, this small single issue campaign that really strikes me as about a wistfulness and, and this is why I think it links to what you're saying about 68 and uh, the sort of resentment of a utopian generation. I think TERFs look at 
the trans person presenting herself to them. And at least for some of them, there's something that gets triggered internally. You know, if you, if you can do this, what could I have done? Did I have an option too, not to be the woman that I have had to be? So yeah, um, despite the way that bathroom bills boomerang back to spack some of their staunchest supporters in the face, um, namely TERFs, who often come across socially um, as uh, transmasculine people. You know, a number of states have carried on introducing bills modeled on on that uh, North Carolina bill stipulating, um, you know, it's unlawful to go in places that your birth certificate doesn't mandate you to go in. And I think more and more TERFs are realizing that that's just not um, a world that that actually benefits them, but they double down. Um, I mean, it's that kind of meme, isn't it, from... uh, the uh, analogous kind of struggle against homophobia that some of the most virulent homophobes are you know secretly closeted gay people right i mean there's something i want to suggest (laughs) without Mm. sort of uh nailing myself too firmly to that you know to that suspicion that you know that a lot of transphobes uh really um uh don't realize that not all cis women are as unhappy about uh, occupying the gendered position of womanhood as they are themselves. And it just never occurred to them that they could uh, do something about it, i.e., um, you know, permit themselves to demand a different kind of treatment from their loved ones and their peers um, or experiment and explore with a different kind of um, embodiment um, or self-expression. And that's just sad. So, um, yeah, this, I mean, this relates to that uh, notion of, of, of erasure um, of, of women and this idea of sort of carving out a space. So, so there were two sort of uh, historic uh, parallels that occurred to me. Um, and I don't know how useful you think it is in, it, to think in terms of parallels like this, but, but I suppose it does relate to, um, certainly the first example anyway, does relate to the, the general decline of the left and a, a collapse into sort of uh, identitarian politics. So, um, so, so one thought I had reading your article, I, you know, I immediately found myself thinking of, of the collapse of, um, of, a, of a radical black politics into that um, sort of desire to, to merely carve out a space for, for black and brown people within, within um within capitalism and and um to sort of give up on the goal of eventually uh transcending or abolishing uh, race as a meaningful category um the other one which is maybe a stranger comparison but 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 uh, I, I did find myself thinking of it was um I, I read an old article by tom i think it was tom nairn uh in the new life review talking about the british labor party and um he was he was sort of contrasting the Labour Party with um, European Social Democratic parties and also the, the uh, uh, Communist parties too, um, and he was pointing out that unlike those parties, and it, it's it's weird now because obviously the position is kind of reversed uh, with the rise of Corbyn, but 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 back then he, he he was pointing out that unlike those other parties. Labour didn't even gesture towards any kind of uh, social transformation, even in its name. You know, it wasn't a social democratic party. It wasn't a communist party. All it was there to do was to represent the interests of Labour within capitalism. And I suppose, yeah, I suppose those two examples just made me think of 
the the rise of turfs if 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 we can think of it as something that's that's risen uh at all is part of that sort of generalized decline of the left um that gave up on the possibility of really kind of transcending or, or scrambling these these sort of ca- categories that we're all kind of subject to in various different ways mm. i'm not sure i'm comfortable with the analogy um with a collapse of um, abolitionist uh, anti-racism because obviously we're living through an immense um, surge of black liberationism and prison mm. abolitionism at the moment. Um, in the form oh, of I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not suggesting yeah. Yeah. a kind of temporal uh, parallel, mm. but uh, okay. you know, at different yeah, yeah. points in history, I suppose. That makes sense. Yeah. I assume then you mean, yeah, exactly. At different points in history, this kind of right-wing black politics has existed that is focused around bootstrapping and aspiration Mm. and respectability. Um, Yeah, similarly, I guess, as we've said, turfism says it's about abolishing gender and actually, well, specifically gender, not sex. Um, And turfs, um, they don't ask themselves if they um, could abolish the biology or or, or, uh, seize or queer or, or, you know, intervene in the biology on which that stratification, according to them, rests, right? And um, they certainly don't ask themselves if it's actually true that the stratification flows from biology. And they don't ask themselves that because on some fundamental level, their experience, um, uh, as as I suggested just now, of this personal bodily martyrdom is something they decided not to change, despite deeply wanting to. And um, I guess more widely, um, because it's race blind and really woundedly fixated on um, what's an essentially colonial model of sexual dimorphism that was imposed uh, throughout the history of uh, colonialism on indigenous populations who didn't operate in in such a tidily binary way themselves when it came to gender. Um, It's definitely not out to abolish uh, anything, you know, and, and... I suppose this has been explicit from the get-go, but um, uh, the word uh, radical in, um, you know, transgender, exclusionary, radical feminist is a a misnomer. It refers to the notion that they're somehow hardline, but it's a, you know, it's a putative metaphysical opposition between male violence on the one hand and female vulnerability on the other, Uh, penises versus uteruses. um, That's at the root of social reality. Um, It's not radical in the sense of anti-bourgeois, anti-white supremacy, anti-liberal democracy, anti-hegemonic or anti-capitalist. And it's not even radical. As you say, I mean, it's remarkably, it it seems to be remarkably welcome in in bourgeois media, I suppose, as well, Mm. which I I guess says something about how radical or not it is. Yes, it's really unfortunate that the, um, the bourgeois media's you know, been allowed to paint such a kind of misleading picture about feminism's own history because um, turfism isn't even radical in the sense of a return to roots within feminism. Um, you know, there are scholars and lay art- archivists, uh, both, working to uh, make this known again. Um, that, um, you know, so people like Emma Heaney, Kristan Williams, Julia Serrano, who I've already mentioned, Susan Stryker on the one hand, and then people like Raina Gossett and the blogger Zagria, um, doing super important work uh, to remind us that the spectacular anti-trans 
animus of, of these um, highly platformed, uh, well-funded, uh, you know, but not very numerous um, networks. Um, I, I mean, again, it's, it's sort of not all RADFEMS. That's why we have the acronym. <laughs> um, yeah. It's all be- it's best regarded as a pushback against a 1970s and 1960s trans-inclusive feminism that ex- that was that was dominant in the women's liberation movement. And, you know, some of TERF's um, would-be heroes, such as the 70s anti-pornography stalwarts, um, Andrea Dworkin and Catherine McKinnon, have in fact, um, you know, disowned these these um, crypto-fascists. They've, they've been outspoken supporters of trans rights for decades and have criticized TERFs for their bigotry. Mc, you know, McKinnon said in an interview, a few years ago. Anyone who identifies as a woman, wants to be a woman, is going around being a woman, as far as I'm concerned, is a woman. Um, and, and and sort of disputing the sort of uh, half-baked materialism, you know, that's at, the, that's at the root of these people's concerns. So what's going on really is a, a weird, distorted, paranoid, bullying, um, and, and structurally colonial spasm even when it's using leftist and feminist modes of self-understanding and self-presentation it seems to me that one effect of um the kind of uh well the erasure of of uh trans activism historically is um is actually just to to erase trans people from the picture themselves i mean i I suspect most people uh are of the view that trans is a very kind of contemporary issue and are just simply unaware of it as as a as a as as something with a broader history i think Mm. yeah even within um lesbian liberation you know there have been trans women in those ranks since day one and lesbian feminists have been among the most um staunch defenders of their trans comrades and and lovers and in fact, you know, we haven't talked about the difference between the US and the UK today um, so far, I think, because transphobic lesbian separatism has largely waned in, the, in, the, in America, um, I think. It's um, this small group of TERFs in England that, that's really sort of uh, having its day. Let me just review quickly what's been going on in the, in the UK, if that, if that would help us be on the same page. I presume the sure. reason you... Um, uh, asked me on uh, was because of the the horrible mess that's been um, unfolding on the UK left, where turfs have been swarming for some decades um, with a kind of incomprehensible um, single-mindedness. And it seems like some of them have been throwing their toys out of the pram in the Labour Party recently over the inclusion of trans women as women's officers and on all women's shortlists. Um, and some specifically lesbian turfs have been campaigning to... Um, "Quote unquote," get the L out of the uh, the acronym LGBT um, with the hashtag "Get the L out" um, to the immense shame of the organisers of London Pride this year. Uh, some of some some "Get the L out" campaigners, I think, pushed to the front of the march. Um, for some time now, they've all been engaged in trying to sabotage uh, the UK government's inquiry into the best way to improve the Gender Recognition Act for trans people. Um, which is currently open to the public as a survey-based consultation, which I guess we should probably be urging listeners to uh, fill out um, to the effect that uh, there should be as few impediments as uh, possible to trans people receiving the health care that they need, deserve, etc. 
um, and has absolutely not, you know, all of this has absolutely no bearing on the Equalities Act, despite what Turfs are going around saying about it. The Equalities Act being what, you know, protects women, gender-based um, equalities. According to, you know, the TERF line, the uh, Gender Recognition Act is giving a mandate for quote-unquote men to quote-unquote self-ID their way into uh, changing rooms. And um, some of the anarchists targeted by TERFs at the London Anarchist Book, Book Fair last year pointed out rightly that the latter trope reproduces a deeply anti-feminist myth, uh, namely that sexual predators are typically strangers rather than family members, right? Mm. Um, the Paranoid uh, Anti-Gender Recognition Act mission inv has involved flyering, but also a tour to Ireland uh, called We Need to Talk, which uh, pleasingly was told uh, full-throatedly to fuck off by Irish feminists. And currently, as far as I can see, as of this week, uh, TERFs have been doing a stickering campaign that involves um, pink... Uh, outlines of a hairy penis and testicles that reads women don't have penises which um really says something about the uh authenticity of uh Perf's other frequent claim uh that they they cannot deal as rape survivors uh with mere confrontation with the uh the image of a penis um they've got you know they've had um seemingly endless invitations to go on air uh, to debate trans women's existence. Um, so there was that gender quake um, event. As we've reviewed already, they're uni unified around this set of endlessly repeated memes. Uh, Cis is a slur, trans women aren't women. Think of the children. Transgender ideology promotes insulting pastiches of femininity. Uh, this is all about envious women um, appropriating women's energy. Um, uh, trans hormone cocktails uh, constitute child abuse, etc. Oh, and lesbians are now going to be forced to uh, suck people's dicks. Um, we want to abolish gender, you want to abolish reality, and all of that. Um, why is this um, going on in the UK? I think the reason it's perhaps been subjected to more of a pummeling in the US has to do with the, the greater prominence of indigenous and black feminisms in the US context. There's been more of a back and forth between women who have been excluded from the hegemonic, uh, often eugenicist white feminist vision of what womanhood is in the US con context uh, throughout the, the 20th century. Um, and perhaps uh, some of that hasn't, you know, some of that conversation hasn't taken place to the same degree in Britain. You've been listening to Politics Theory Other. If you enjoy the show, please do consider rating or reviewing it on iTunes. You can also follow on Facebook and Twitter. The handle is at Poll Theory Other. And if you really like the show, uh, please do consider donating to the Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com forward slash Poll Theory Other. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week. <laughs>